tonight. So please turn with me uh, in your Bibles to Acts chapter 28. On Wednesday nights, we're going through the Bible chapter by chapter and verse by verse. So next week, we're going to start the book of Romans. So you're definitely going to want to be here to start the book of Romans. The book of Romans lays out the doctrine of grace. Paul takes 11 chapters to lay out the grace of God being justified freely by God's grace. Romans is one of those books that every believer should go through. And if you've gone through it before, you're blessed to go through it again. And it's also a a great book to invite somebody to come to. You know, if they want to look at who Jesus is and how we respond to the grace of God. So we're excited to start uh, the book of Romans next week. Would you join me in prayer? Let's pray together. Father, as we open up the word tonight, we come with a heart of expectation and a heart of faith. And as we've studied the Spirit moving through the church of Acts, we pray for a move of the Spirit in our lives. You told us that you know how to give good gifts. You're our Father, and you give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. So we ask. We ask for a fresh filling, a fresh empowering of your Spirit. We pray for a move of your Spirit in the times that we live, not only in this church and Colorado Springs, but throughout the world. God, would you strengthen the church? Would you be with believers who are being persecuted, being martyred? Would your spirit just light a fire, bring many people to come to know Christ as their Savior? In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to read out of Hebrews to you uh, before we get into Acts 28 tonight. It's Hebrews 3, verse 15. It says, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. As we study the word and we open up the word, the most important factor is our hearts. Our hearts. Is do we come with a heart of faith, expecting God to speak to us through his word and expecting to make application? Here in Hebrews 3, it's going back to the wilderness when the children of Israel had traveled and traveled and traveled. They came to the promised land yet they didn't believe that God could deliver on his promises. So God says that they hardened their hearts in the rebellion. And their rebellion was as simple as, I don't believe that God will do what he said he would do. And they acted in unbelief. So God allowed them to be in the wilderness for 40 years until they died. They were still the children of Israel, but they never entered into God's promises, to to God's rest. And the key ingredient in our lives, God tells us it's impossible to please him without faith. That we would come to the scriptures with a heart of faith. We know from the parable of the sower that not every time the word of God goes out does it bear fruit. So we can be here Wednesday after Wednesday. We can be doing our devotions. But for some reason, there just doesn't seem to be change. There just doesn't seem to be fruit. And I don't know if you feel this, but I'm crying out to the Lord, God, would you change me? Would you do a fresh work in my life? And where that begins and continues and sustains is faith. Lord, I believe that you're here. I believe that you're desiring to speak. I'm believing that this is the word that you would have for me tonight. So may God give us that heart as we go through Acts 28. Acts 28 picks up after Paul has been shipwrecked. God gave him a promise In chapter 23, verse 11, that he was going to go to Rome to testify before Caesar. How he got there was a long process. He was delayed in Caesarea for two years. 
then finally sent by ship. The ship goes off course, blown in the wind, because the sailors wouldn't listen to Paul's warning. This storm could have been avoided, but they were stubborn. Now they're shipwrecked on this island, Malta, and this is where we pick up in verse 1 of chapter 28. Now when they escaped, then they found out that the island was called Malta. God spared their lives. They lost the ship, but they were alive on this island in the Mediterranean Sea trying to make their way to Rome from Israel. They knew that this island was Malta. The sailors could recognize it as such. In verse 2, And the natives showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. God was faithful to his word. God spoke to Paul and said, you guys are going to make it through this storm. When they come, the natives show them great kindness, unusual kindness. It makes you kind of wonder, what did they normally do to foreigners when they came in? But they're showing kindness. They have a soft spot for them because it's raining. It's pouring down. And you're thinking from the Apostle Paul, can I get a break? It's just pouring down rain. Here we've been in this storm for 14 days. That's how long the storm lasted, chapter 27 told us. 14 days. The ship is wrecked. They finally get to the storm, get to the island. I'm sure Paul is like, man, I'm looking forward to some sunshine. And just pounded with rain. I don't know if you've ever been pounded with rain and you can't get out of the elements, but it is no fun. If you're a native to Colorado, you maybe have been pounded with snow and you can't get out of the snow. But being from Oregon, I've had many opportunities to be pounded with the rain. I remember one backpack trip during our school of ministry along the Rogue River from the Pacific going back up the, the Rogue River. We started off this backpacking trip and it rained. And it never stopped raining. My tent did not hold up adequately to the rain. I was miserable and very grumpy and complaining. And we, we met a bear in the morning on our camping trip. I'll never forget it. One young guy was like, yeah, I can sleep with all my stuff in my tent. No, you can't. That's why, no, you can't do that, right? It's no fun to be out in the rain. And, and here's Paul. He's, he's got the rain falling on him because it's cold. It's winter. If there's one thing that's worse than rain, it's cold rain, right? Verse 3, but when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire. Let's consider that for just a moment. This is something to learn is Paul has the lifestyle of a servant. He's considering other people's needs. We also know from chapter 27, with Paul, there was 276 passengers. It's a lot of guys. It's a big fire, several fires. And the Apostle Paul doesn't have this attitude of, I'm the great church planter. I'm the apostle. I'm the one who heard from God and God saved your lives. So Pope Paul is going to put his feet up and you guys can bring me a cappuccino. Instead, Paul has a heart to esteem others better than himself. Philippians chapter 2. He's living it out. It's, it's who he was. And we get a picture of Paul's character here. He didn't have to think twice. He didn't have to give himself a pep talk. It was just in his lifestyle. It was in his character. It was in his nature. He saw a need, and he was going to meet it. These guys needed to be warm. There needed to be firewood, so he was going to go out and gather firewood. This would have been a great time for Paul to have a pity party. 
to go back over these two years that I was stuck in Caesarea as a prisoner. We wouldn't be in this storm if it wasn't for your guys' stubbornness. You go get firewood. God, why don't you just give me a break here? I'm having a little bit of a, a pity party. Didn't allow himself to go there. I don't know about you, but it is more difficult to serve others when we're in the midst of a tense trial. We're going to be tested on, on our servanthood when we're going through a difficult time and everything inside of us says, go inward, focus inward. You deserve to focus on yourself. And Paul resists that tendency by doing something practical and meeting a very basic need. We need the Spirit of God just as much to do the dishes in our home or to meet a practical need inside of the church or in our neighborhood or in our workplace as we do to preach the gospel, share the gospel, as we do to go on a missions trip, as we do to teach a Bible study, those, those types of things. It, it takes the Spirit of God and us yielding to God's Spirit. We'll be blessed if we follow in this footstep. It's, it's a great way to have joy in your life is focus on others. Selfishness is a great way to lead to destruction and depression. When I focus on myself, it's a downward spiral. It's a dark cloud that comes over my soul. But when I focus on others, I find the joy of the Lord. This gets good. Here he is. Picture him. He's getting the firewood. And a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. Are you kind of freaked out about snakes a little bit? I don't really like snakes that much. So here's Paul. He's getting the sticks. And the snake starts to warm up a little bit. He's cold-blooded. He must have been close to the fire. Paul maybe picks up some wood to throw it in. And then here comes this viper and just latches on to his hand. And Paul's going, great. It just gets better. <laughs> if a storm wasn't enough, if a shipwreck wasn't enough, now snakes. And I'm bitten by a viper. I think there's a lesson here for us. If you're going to serve others, you will get bitten. <laughs> You will get bitten. It's absolutely true. Satan wants to discourage us. Satan wants to go, yeah, you should have never served in the first place. Look, they don't appreciate you, and people will lash out to you. They'll put their fangs in you, and all those kinds of things. It's going to happen. It happens when we choose to reach out to others. And Paul is bitten as well. And he's not just bitten. Like, the viper's just, like, hanging there. It's fastened. And he's like, hey, guys, look. Check it out. Verse 4, so when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he's escaped the sea, yet justice doesn't allow him to live. What are they doing here? They're sizing up Paul's character based on his circumstances. It's what Job's friends did as well. They made Job out to be this evil man because of his circumstances. We need to be careful that we don't do that same thing to others. Someone's suffering and we go, well, man, justice is finally prevailing. Was that the case in Paul's life? No, no, not at all. In verse 5, but he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. Again, I think that there's a lesson here. This Paul was calm, he was sober-minded, and he just shook off the snake. So this, this is it. I'm not, I'm not going to have this. I'm going to shake it off. And figuratively, when you're reaching out to others and the enemy bites you, the enemy resists you, the enemy comes against you, you know, people ridicule you, whatever the case may be, you got to shake it off. 
You have to shake it off and keep going in what the Lord has for you. Great time for Paul to be paralyzed with fear, but instead he shakes it off. You have to shake off the hurt of the past. You have to. You can't wallow in it. You've got to shake it off and, and keep going. And if the Lord is going to equip us and call us, this is an important lesson for us. Shake it off. Keep going. Don't carry it with you. And he suffered no harm. So God is protecting Paul. Verse 6, however, they were expecting that he would swell up, suddenly fall down dead. So this is a really poisonous viper. Quite, quite the reaction. First you puff up like a blowfish, swell up drastically, and then poof, fall, fall over dead. So th- everybody's just sitting and waiting for this to happen with Paul. Hey, pass the popcorn. How long, how long will you give him? Oh, 15 minutes. That's all we're going to give him. This is what they're expecting. But after they looked for a long time and so saw no harm had come to him, they changed their minds and said he was God. Well, just a minute ago, they were saying he escaped the sea. He's a murderer, and now justice is coming upon him. The next moment, they're going, he's a God. People are fickle. See all these lessons that are here for us that we can learn? You reach out to others. Sometimes they're going to size you up and call you a murderer. And then a few minutes later, they may think you're the best thing since sliced bread. We tend to swing in these drastic views of people. Sometimes we take somebody and we run them under the bus and all we see is the negative. And then we tend to put somebody on a pedestal and go, oh, they're a God. Most people, all people are somewhere in between. You know, they're, they're not the worst ever. And they're definitely not God. And we want to see them in in an accurate light. And as we serve the Lord, serve for God's praise. Serve for his glory. Be a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Because if we're living for the approval of others, that's going to come and go. It's going to be a roller coaster. Do it to the Lord. Serve the Lord. Don't worry about what people think. Easier said than done in our lives. Verse 7 In that region, there was an estate of the leading citizens of the island, whose name was Publius, kind of a unique name, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of fever and dysentery. Now I'm going to be gross. I'm going to prepare you. You know what dysentery is? Okay, we'll leave it there. I'll spare you tonight. But we'll leave it there. <laughs> right now, I'm a dog. That's, leave it. Just leave it. Don't, don't mess with it. So, these guys are hurting. I can't leave it. I just can't leave it. <laughs> I mean, a fever is one thing, but dysentery is another. I looked this up today. Uh, from a great source, Wikipedia. <laughs> And they, Wikipedia says you can die from dysentery. And so I went and read a medical journal, and you actually can die. Now, dying from diarrhea, that's about the worst thing that could ever happen to you, right? These guys are on an island. They can't go to Walgreens and get some Imodium AD. It's just not going to happen. They're sick. They've got a fever. They've got dysentery. Okay, keep going. Paul, Paul went into him and prayed, and he laid his hands on him, and healed him. So when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. 
They also honored us in many ways, and when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. Let's try to put ourselves into Paul's shoes. These delays that take place, the storm that happens, the shipwreck, the viper, all leading to this opportunity to share with this man, Publius, who's really sick. Paul prays for him, and he's healed, and he experiences the power of God in his life. So what does he do? He goes and gets everybody who's sick. This whole community is impacted on this island of Malta with the love of God. We feel like we're getting delayed. We feel like our life is going off course. Do you ever feel like that? Storms tend to do that. We're headed in a direction, even a God-given direction. God says to go to Rome. God, you didn't tell me that we were going to stop off in Malta via shipwreck. And Paul's now beginning to see the bigger picture that's unfolding. Oftentimes with a storm, in the storm and on the other side of the storm, there's people that God wants us to minister to. There's a publulus, if you would. Someone that desperately needs the love of Jesus Christ, the healing of the soul, the grace and the forgiveness that comes through the blood of Jesus. God has a purpose. He, he knows what he's doing. And look for those purposes. Go back and study these 10 verses, especially if you're in a storm tonight or you find yourself in six months from now in a storm. Look at chapter 27 in the first 10 verses of chapter 28 and apply these things to your heart and your life, saying, God's faithful. He's going to be faithful to his word. I can count on that in a storm. Okay, I'm, I'm going through a storm. I'm going to focus on others. How can I serve others? I, I feel like focusing on myself, but, but I'm going to serve others. All right, I can expect a snake bite, and if I get bit, I've got to shake it off. I can't let that have the final, final word. I need to be looking for the people that God wants me to share with. Let's go on to verse 11. After three months, we sailed in an Alexandrian ship whose figurehead was the twin brothers which had wintered at the island. The ship's called the Alexandrian ship and the figurehead, if you picture these ancient ships, they would have imagery, they're carved imagery at the front were the, the twin brothers. I, mean, I wonder which twin brothers that it was modeled after. So they're now on this new ship, and they're making their way to Rome. In verse 12, in landing at Cyrus, we stayed three days. So they just stopped briefly here for three days, continuing on their way to Rome. In verse 13, from there we circled around and reached Reguam, and after one day the south wind blew, and the next day we came to Petule. We, were, we found brethren... And we're invited to stay with them seven days. And so we went toward Rome. Have you noticed pretty much everywhere that Paul goes, he finds brothers and sisters in Christ, if possible. And there's believers for him to be able to fellowship with. It's a great model for us. You're on a business trip? Go find brothers and sisters in Christ. Go to church. Take in the word of God. You know, maybe you're out of town and it's a Wednesday night. Look up churches that have a Wednesday night service and go. You're on vacation? Go worship and, and spend time in, in God's presence. It's, it's good for us to see that the body of Christ is a lot bigger than our little corner on the map. Amen? So Paul does this. He's just got a little bit of time, but he connects with these believers. So they're headed towards Rome, verse 15. And from there, when the brethren heard about us, they came to us to meet us as far as 
Apiforum and three inns. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. So what happens is he's getting closer and closer to Rome, and they hear, Paul's coming. Paul's coming. He's, he's almost here. So they travel 50 miles to Apiforum and three inns just to greet Paul. And what happens with Paul is then he praises the Lord and he takes courage. How did they know the Apostle Paul? Paul has already written the epistle of Romans. He's already sent it to them. He knows there's believers in Rome. Paul's not the first one to bring the gospel to Rome. So they have this wonderful letter that we're going to start studying next week. And they feel like they already know Paul. So they hear that he's coming. They say, we got to go meet him. And notice what happens by this effort that they take to travel these 50 miles. This isn't driving a car. This is traveling by foot or by horse. That Paul, he saw them and he thanked the Lord and he took courage. Paul was in desperate need of some encouragement at this point. He's been through a lot, hasn't he? It's like, guys, you'll never believe it. We got shipwrecked, and then I was getting some sticks for the fire, and I got bit by a viper, and then there was dysentery. It was just gross. And and this whole time, years ago, God told me that we're going to Rome. And I hear I'm finally within 50 miles, and you guys encouraged me. God encourages us in our fellowship with him, but he also encourages us with believers. If the Lord's put somebody on your heart, another believer, and the Lord's just a simple act, you know, take them a cup of coffee today. Shoot them a text, I'm praying for you. Write them, write them a note, you know, take some time to stop, stop by their house. You know what the Spirit of God is saying to you. Do it, because the Lord knows what's going on in their life, And the result of that is they'll praise God and they'll take courage. Verse 16, Now when he'd come to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Paul wrote the epistle to the Philippian church during this time. And in Philippians 1 verse 13, he said that he was chained to Christ. In reality, he was chained to a soldier. So how did he view that he was chained to Christ? Because he realized that it was Christ that put him into that situation. And he also writes in Philippians that the gospel was starting to impact the palace guard. Church, brother and sister of Christ tonight, do you feel chained? Like, I'm I'm chained to this boss. I'm chained to this neighbor. I can't get out of my lease. I can't sell my house. Could it be that the Lord has put you in that situation so that they could come to know Christ, so that they could hear the gospel. How would you like to be this soldier that has this duty of being with Apostle Paul for the day? Where do you think he started? Probably, hey, how you doing? How's your day going? What's going on in your life? I guarantee you this, by the time the shift was over, the dude was going to hear about Jesus. And when he came back, hey, have you thought any more about Christ? And sharing, and it had impact, and the Lord, the Lord used it. So Paul is now in Rome when he has came to Rome. What was the state of Rome when Paul comes? We know that Rome was now 800 years old. The Colosseum had not yet been built. And there was estimated 2 million people living in Rome. One million were free and the other one million were slaves. It was said at this time, all roads lead to Rome. As we've studied Paul throughout the book of Acts, he wants to go to the population centers. 
If Paul were a missionary today, he would get out a world map and he'd say, where do the people live? I want to take the gospel to where the people live. Because he knew if the cities were reached, that the gospel would go out from from that place. So being the apostle that he was, being the missionary that he was, you could imagine him dreaming about Rome from the perspective of what if Rome gets reached? All roads lead to Rome. Everybody comes to Rome to do business. Rome's going out and they've conquered the world and he longed to come to this place to, to be a witness and he finally arrives. In verse 17, and it came to pass after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. This is a relentless spirit. Paul continues to follow his model of going to the Jews first. As you've studied with us through the book of Acts, this is when Paul normally gets a whole lot of persecution. It'd be really easy at this point to go, it's always the Jews that come against me. Paul was a Jew, but it was the Jewish people that didn't recognize that Jesus was the Messiah. I'm going to pass on this. I'm going to go right to the Gentiles. How did he have this kind of spirit after this kind of hardship? I think it was found in his fellowship with God. Time spent with the Lord in prayer. Time spent in God's word, gazing upon who the Lord is. He was connected to the source. He was connected to the vine. And as he was connected, then the Lord gave him that strength to be able to continue on in what he was called to do. So he gets the leaders together. So when they'd come together, he said to them, Men and brethren, though I do not, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. He's saying, look guys, I'm not anti-Israel. Israel was coming under a lot of pressure and scrutiny from the Roman Empire. In just a few years, we're, we're looking at right now, right around 63 AD. In 70 AD, Rome goes in and destroys Jerusalem. Nero's going to persecute Christians and murder Christians. And and Paul's saying, look, I'm not against the nation of Israel. I'm not against our our fathers. I I haven't done anything against our people or against our customs. Yet I'm a prisoner from Jerusalem. I was arrested in Jerusalem at the hands of the Romans. In verse 18, whom whom, who, when they had examined me, wanted to let me go because there was no cause for putting to death. That the Jews were willing, to, or the Romans, excuse me, were willing to let Paul go. Verse 19. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. Not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. So Paul says, I was the one who appealed to go to Caesar. Why? Because God had given him a mission. God had spoken to Paul and said, you're going to go to Rome. You're going to testify before Caesar. In verse 20. Picture all the Jewish leaders. For this reason, therefore, I've called for you to see you and to speak with you because for the hope of Israel, I am bound with this chain. Then they said to him, we neither received letters from Judea concerning you nor have any of the brethren who came reported or spoken any evil of you. Remember in Jerusalem and Caesarea, they had these letters against Paul of what Paul had supposedly done. They'd never mailed them to Rome. They never sent him to Rome. Why do you think they never sent the letters? Because they knew they didn't have a case. They really didn't have a case against the Apostle Paul. Verse 22, But we desire to hear from you what you think. For concerning this sect, we know that it is spoken against everywhere. 
this is an open door. Like we've been hearing about Jesus. We've been hearing about you. And we want you to tell us more about Jesus Christ. I was talking with my brother this week, and he's a school teacher up in Denver, and he also does some tutoring on the side. And this family approached him to, to really do a bunch of tutoring with their son. And my brother said, well, are you guys open to having a, a religion class and talking about the things of Christ, the family doesn't know the Lord. And the wife said, you know, we, we need more of that. Uh, we're really curious about the, the things of God, and we don't know anything about the things of God. And we would love for our son to, to have some instruction on that. And do you care if my husband and I sit in on, on you going through that with our son? That's what you call an open door right there. That's God saying, here it is, go for it. Talk about the things of Christ. Lay it all out there. And Paul has that. They're saying, we, we want to hear more. What, would you tell us about what you're all about? And so Paul's like, well, you know, I'm kind of busy and not really sure where this is going to go. Of course, he walks through the open door. So when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God. So Paul is under house arrest where the soldiers there watching him and they come to Paul's house and he explained to them, solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. Jesus spoke a whole bunch about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God begins in our hearts. Jesus came to save us from, from the inside out. The kingdom of God starts in that place of the hearts, and then eventually Christ is going to bring in the kingdom of God with his second coming. There's really two kingdoms to be in. There's God's kingdom, and then there's the world's kingdom, to which Satan is the prince of, of this world. And so we find Paul is declaring to him the kingdom of God. Allow Christ to be your king. Allow him to save your, your life, to live in your heart. And then he's persuading them. Notice those words, persuading them concerning Jesus. Paul wants their will. He absolutely does want to persuade them. He's going after their hearts. He wants them to be convinced and their hearts to surrender to Jesus Christ. From the law of Moses and through the prophets of how Jesus is the Messiah. How Jesus is the prophesied one from the Old Testament. So he's going through places like Genesis 22. That's Moses. And he's saying Abraham was called to offer up his son Isaac. That points to Jesus. Jesus was crucified on the same mountain, Mount Moriah, where Abraham went to sacrifice his son Isaac. He points that out to him. Continues to go through Passover and the Passover lamb. When the lamb's blood was applied to the door of the house, then judgment passed over. Jesus said that he is the lamb of God who takes away our sin. When you apply the blood of the lamb to the door of your heart, judgment passes over. And he just takes him through all of these different places of scripture. Isaiah 7, I'm sure he hit it, that the Messiah was going to be born of a virgin. That's how we knew God in human flesh. Jesus fulfilled that. Coming later on in, into the Old Testament, Micah 5, 2, that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And he went from morning till evening on all of these different places in the scripture. If you ever find that podcast, could you let me know? 
That would be a great teaching to have from the Apostle Paul. Church, as you read the scriptures, and I hope that you do, and you read at Genesis to Revelation, we don't just get to Jesus in Matthew. It's not this, that Jesus comes onto the pages of scripture in Matthew. It's throughout the scripture. It all points to Jesus Christ. He's the fulfillment of, of the Old Testament. These men are Jews. They're familiar with these scriptures. And what Paul is hoping is that their understanding is opened to the person of Christ. Verse 24, and some were persuaded by the things which were spoken, and some disbelieved. Isn't that always the case? Isn't that the way it's always been? The same information, the same truth, some believe unto salvation, some disbelieve and have that heart of unbelief. So verse 25, so when they did not agree among themselves, so now they're divided. God has that way of dividing people based on their decision of Jesus Christ. They departed after Paul had said one word. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers saying. So this is going to end the meeting when Paul says this section of Isaiah reflects your hearts, those who have unbelief. Notice that he attributes the writings of Isaiah to the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is the author of the scriptures. So he quotes Isaiah here saying, go to this people and say, hearing you will hear and shall not understand and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so I should heal them. This is quoted seven times in the New Testament. It's Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah is called by God. God says, Isaiah, you've got a tough job to do. You're going to go speak to them. But because they have a dull heart, they're going to close their eyes to the message. They're going to close their ears to the message. But God still wanted them to hear. God still wanted them to have a messenger. Isn't that the love of God? He already knows the condition of their hearts. He knows they're going to close their eyes. They're doing everything possible to not get the message that God has for them. They're like a toddler sticking their fingers in their ears I refuse to listen. That's a pretty bold message, isn't it? And that's what Israel was doing at the time of Isaiah, but also what these Jews are doing that Paul is sharing, those that turned in unbelief. Our job's to share. Our job's to love. The results are up to God. And it gives the choice back to the person, whether they're going to believe or disbelieve. But if they choose unbelief, they're hardening their hearts. They're closing their eyes. They're closing their ears to the things of God. If they would open their eyes, if they would open their ears, then they would hear, and they would be healed, and there would be salvation. Verse 28, therefore let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. Paul's saying, guys, you had your opportunity, and I want you to know that the door's been opened for, for the Gentiles. Again, an important lesson for us. Share. And if someone rejects, Go for, look for someone who's open. Go look for the Gentile. Go look for the person that's just waiting for you to talk to them, that's hungry for the things of Christ. And this is that message that's given to these Jews. You have to understand that this was offensive to them because of the way they viewed Gentiles. You know, they would pray and, and thank the Lord every day that they weren't a Gentile. There was an extreme prejudice towards the Gentiles. Maybe you're like, 
hey, you know what, Eric? I don't really understand what's, what's a Jew, what's a Gentile. A Jew is someone who is from Israel. Ethnically, they're, they're Jewish. A Gentile is everybody else. A Gentile is everybody else who's non-Jewish. That's me and probably most of us. If you're Jewish, if you can trace your ethnicity back to the nation of Israel, man, that's awesome. Praise the Lord. And the rest of us, we're Gentiles, and we're thankful for verse 28 and verse 29. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves because some believed and some didn't believe. In verse 29, or excuse me, verse 30, then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him. Paul's life's on pause again, similar to his time in Caesarea. You'd almost think, God, do you know what a resource the Apostle Paul is? Do you know what you're doing? Allowing him to be in house arrest again for two more years? But you know what happened during this two years in Rome? Paul got busy. Paul didn't waste time. He knew time was valuable. And he wrote a letter to the church of Ephesus, which we now call the book of Ephesians. Then he wrote a letter to the church of Philippi, and he referred to his chains. That's why we know he wrote that letter during, during that time. Wrote the epistle to the church of Colossae, Colossae that we call Colossians. Those epistles are wonderful. We're going to be heading into those. We wouldn't have those books of the Bible if it wasn't for these two years that Paul is imprisoned. Also, he wrote a little letter called Philemon. It's one chapter. One chapter, Anisiphorus was this slave that ran away from his master and came to Paul during this time. That was one of the visitors that Paul had inside of his house. Those are just the letters that Paul wrote. Think about all the one-on-ones that Paul had during this time. We know there was a church already in, in Rome. Could you imagine? Okay, I'm going to go hang out with Paul today and have two hours with the Apostle Paul. That's some great discipleship that's taken place. Do you feel like your life's on pause? You're under house arrest? It's not moving along as fast as you would like? You're not having what you anticipated Rome to be. I kind of think Paul may have had some thoughts of, when I get to Rome, I think it's going to be like this. Based on the other things that have happened in the book of Acts, God's like, nope, when you get to Rome, you're going to sit in the house with a soldier and a few people are going to come visit you. God, I was picturing preaching on the streets. God, I was picturing revival. And God's like, it's going to happen, but it's going to happen through a pen and paper. You're going to send it out and trust me for it. And you might not even see the full ramifications of it. For us as Americans, this is especially discouraging. We're goal-oriented people. If we don't get things done, it hasn't been a good day. And when God says, all right, I'm going to knock your feet out from underneath of you. I'm going to stick you here in this place. We have to trust him and trust God's purposes. When you're frustrated, when I'm frustrated with what I can't do, focus on what you can do. Paul could have sat in this place with extreme frustration of what he couldn't do, but he said, I can do this. I can write some letters. I can meet with people. I'm going to do that to the glory of God. David had a similar experience, didn't he? 
He wanted to build the temple. Nathan the prophet said, go for it. Then Nathan heard from the Lord, bad idea. David has hands of blood from all of the wars that he's been in. It's not going to be David who's going to build the temple. It's going to be his son. David doesn't get angry when he received a no from God. He didn't get frustrated when he couldn't do. He focused on what he could do. You know what he did? He got everything ready for Solomon. Everything was all set up. So when Solomon became king, dad had saved the money, had the plans ready, and all Solomon had to do was to say, go. We can get frustrated on what we can't do, or we can focus on what we can do, the doors that God has opened. Verse 31, the end of the book of Acts, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. This great opportunity for two years to preach the kingdom, to teach things concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, and no one stopped Paul from doing this. Do you find this to be an odd ending to the book of Acts and the life of Paul? Like, what? What happened to Paul? He's in prison? Like, what happened from this point? So we put pieces together from other letters And what most Bible teachers and scholars believe is that Paul was released from prison this time in 63 AD, went on to do some missionary journeys, only to get arrested again in 66 AD to find himself back in prison in Rome when he writes 2 Timothy to his young protege, and he's martyred at that point. But this is where scripture leaves us with Paul's life. Why? Why does God do this? It's not an accident. Luke is a physician. He's a detailed communicator. He's writing everything down in such detail, and then he just leaves us at this point. There's a specific reason, and this is why. The work of the Spirit is not done. That's the message of Acts 28, is God is continuing to work, and he wants to leave us in that place where we're focused on Christ, focused on the move of the Holy Spirit, seeing what God wants to do now. As we wrap up this study of the book of Acts, I want us to be encouraged and to be challenged. Is there more of God's Spirit in our lives as we've studied the last several months through the book of Acts? I think we have missed it if we just look at the book of Acts as a historical document of the early church and we get it down. We go, okay, we know how the church of Philippi started. We understand Paul's life. We we understand Peter. Got it, got it, got it. It's good to know it. That's not enough. It's for us to go deeper and go, we see Paul's life transformed by the grace of God, filled with the Spirit of God. We see Peter's life, and we see him filled with the Spirit of God. Here he is blowing it in the Gospels, and then he's filled with God's Spirit, and there's a power that's flowing through him. The message of the book of Acts is this, that God did something that man can't accomplish. God did something, and the church was obedient to the move of God. And believers, church, Rocky Mountain Calvary, we desperately need that. We desperately need it. More than any other time that I know of, We need the Spirit of God to be alive in our lives and walking in the Spirit, moving in His his power. And I know for some that really weirds you out. And you're going, I I don't know, does that that mean I'm going to start barking like a dog and 
falling on, down uncontrollably and, and some say the slain in the spirit. And is that what's going to happen? Is that what you saw in the book of Acts? Did you see Paul barking like a dog? You know, did, did you see him having uncontrollable laughter and acting like a madman? Do you, do you see him being slain, slain in the spirit and falling backwards? No, I don't see that. You know what I see? I see men and women that are filled with the love of God and are willing to take steps of faith. They're willing to risk it. They're willing to put themselves out there. And it did mean suffering. And so we've got to ask ourselves some hard questions and we go, you know what? Do I really want the Spirit of God in my life? Because the Spirit of God's going to make me move me to do some things that I'm not comfortable with. Not in terms of anything weird, but I'm going to have to surrender some comfort. And we're, we hold our comforts tightly. I, I hold my comforts tightly. And, and so we're wrestling. But then on the other side of that, the surrender is the beauty of intimacy with Christ and this amazing adventure. I would have loved to hang out with these men and women and hear all the stories that aren't recorded in the book of Acts. This isn't a full history. These are just brief little snippets that the Holy Spirit gave to us. Do we want that in our lives? Do we want that in our homes and in our friendships? That we could sit down on a Saturday evening and go, you know what, this is what we saw God do this week. We could share that. You know, at the end of our lives, when we know we're on our deathbed, that we could get family and friends and say, you know what, God is real. And he loves people. And these are some things that I saw God do in my life. It has nothing to do with me. It had everything to do with God because God loves people. And to be able to share, God's got a plan for your life and you go for it. So let's make it practical and let's make it simple as we go tonight. Is what is the spirit of God speaking to you? Jesus said as he wrote to the seven churches, hear what the spirit says to the churches. As you're reading the word, and you're in prayer, what is God's Spirit saying to you? What is, what is He speaking to you? Go and do that. And if you're saying, you know what, really nothing. I, I can't really say that, I can't remember the last time I read the Word and I knew God was speaking to me. I don't, I don't know what the Spirit is saying to me. It may be that we have to slow down the velocity of our life a little bit. We got to be still and know that He's God. Say, okay, God, I got to hear from you. I got to get my marching orders from you. Would you speak to me? I'm going to spend some time in your word. I'm going to spend some time in prayer. I got to hear from you.